Thank you that you are our living hope. There is hope no place else. So we thank you for your living hope. In Jesus' name, amen. And youth, I mean, kids are welcome to go. Youth who are helping them. Bless you. Thanks for our kids. And preschool kids back this way. Big house kids that back that way. Thanks so much for all your kids. Also, the nursery is back that way. So you're welcome to... Uh, for better or worse, uh, go to a children's program and hear about, hear about what God's got there. <clears throat> All right. So, um, a little update, Pastor uh, Dustin is, Pastor Mike is doing, uh, doing better. He is uh, awake, and, and uh, so thanks for your continued prayers for him. And uh, others who, a number of people who've had COVID the last little time are mostly back um, in, in, uh, in the land of the living. So we praise God for his, his healing. Um, I went in to get my eye checked, and they zapped it again with another laser surgery. So we just keep going, and God keeps healing us. And thanks for all, you, all of your prayers for all those who are, who are sick and weak and I have challenges. Um, so, this is a year to seek treasure. So we've been talking about our year to seek treasure for 2023, and we're looking at different ways, different places, what the treasure is that we're seeking, and so what is that treasure, and where do we find it? So here's my question for you today. How is church? Think about it. Think about your experience with church. Um, what's your experience with church? This church or another church? And I don't know if I'm going to have you share this one. Cause, uh, you know, I don't know. Um, Pearl, you want to share your, your experience? All right. She loves Jesus first, but the church is his body, right? Actually, Pearly and I share a church in Jerusalem as well, Narcus Street Baptist Congregation. We were part of a Messianic Southern Baptist Charismatic Congregation, which met on Saturdays. It was a combo. Uh, met in a tent because they'd been bombed by some uh, more extremist. Uh, yeah, anyway, um, so we've had a lot of experience in the church. Some of you have had a lot of different experiences. Is your experience fabulous? Sometimes. I'd have to say my experience is fabulous, sometimes. Frustrating? Sometimes. Um, you know this equation that I've sometimes talked about, uh, R minus E equals H. So reality minus expectation equals happiness. And sometimes we expect the church to be something fabulous. And we have these visions and we have these big statements, we say we're going to be all these, these great things, and then your experience is kind of like frustrating sometimes, because it's not just as frustrating as some other places. Uh, maybe more so, because you expected more. Um, and then sometimes it's just, meh. Either fabulous or frustrating, just kind of lukewarm, just kind of there. Anybody else had those kind of experiences? Okay. So why? 
And that's my last one. It's and. At least that's my experience. It's fabulous and frustrating. Sometimes more one, sometimes more the other. And sometimes when it's fabulous, I get my expectations up, and then I uh, can be disappointed and frustrated. And uh, if you look around at specific people in the church, um, you can have expectations that particular people are going to be better than average. You can look at yourself and hope that you would be better than average. You know, you know, a Christian, you should be better than most people. The church should be better than most institutions. Pastors, at least, should be better. I heard a few laughs back there. Um, those of you who don't know pastors, <coughs> including myself, all that closely, um, well, you could be disappointed. Because pastors are just as frustrating as anybody else, especially if you have high expectations of the man of God. Yes, because um, man or woman comes in there pretty close. So we're talking about this house of prayer for all nations and going to seek treasure in every direction, down, up, in, which is what we're going to talk about today, and out. So we talked about down, God revealing himself, God coming with his presence, revealing himself to be with us and true to the word and alive in the spirit, how God shows up among us, that he is the foundation, that the, the rock Jesus coming is our foundation and the, the word and his presence among us. Then we talked about seeking treasure up and responding to that presence that fills that house of God. The Lord is the treasure. Okay, in case you've been wondering where this whole series is going, that is your key. God is the treasure. Jesus is the treasure. Yahweh is the treasure. So when we pray, we get a chance to be in relationship. When we worship, we get a chance to be in relationship with the treasure. Now, the Lord is here. So we respond with prayer and worship. The fact that the Lord is in his temple, in his house, is amazing. And that's the treasure, what we look for in that house of God. A house of prayer for all nations, which is what we call this. A house of prayer for all nations. So, <clears throat> so prayer is not about getting other treasure. I know there's a lot of people who will give you formulas for how to get treasure through prayer. Right? How to get money if you pray the right way. How to get friends and influence people if you pray the right way. How to get emotional peace if you pray the right way. How to be able to meditate and, and, and calm yourself and, and, and get a sense of God's presence, that, that, but I mean, we're after the sense and the feeling or the joy or the whatever. We often use prayer as a means to treasure instead of a relationship with the treasure and recognizing his presence with us. So there's the key, folks. Jesus is the treasure. God is the treasure, not a means to get some other treasure. Now, he supplies our needs. He does give us those other things. But often some of our 
disappointment is that we thought he was going to give us something else. He thought he was going to give us good children. We thought he was going to give us success. We thought he was going to give us peace or money or something. Or a good church. It didn't work out quite like we hoped. So today we're talking about our treasure in. Treasure in authentic community. So, and uh, I don't know what's happening with this mic. Maybe you shouldn't have tucked it in my shirt, but if it gets annoying, we'll use the other mic. So, um, treasure in authentic community. This is the relationships within this body. Now, in our logo, you, logo, you will notice that it's made up of a lot of different pieces. We've talked for a long time about being a mosaic church with people who are different in lots of different ways. And that we want to be a place where people who are very different from each other in very different ways come together to form the house that is inhabited by the presence of God. So even in this house picture in our logo, you'll notice that it's made up of different pieces. There's a cornerstone there. Jesus is the cornerstone. And then there's a bunch of other stones, bricks, blocks, that make up the temple. The place that God inhabits. So once you get that picture in your head, a bunch of clay bricks filled with God's presence. Or there was a tabernacle that was just a, a bunch of uh, a tent filled with God's presence. So... Um, so our BCF values, when we put them together, we talked about these are the words that came up uh, related to this. People talked about loving people. Uh, it was kind of an overall category for a bunch of things that people wrote. Other people talked about relationship building as one of our key values. Authentic community. Equipping. Unity in Christ within a diverse body. So both unity and diversity, that mosaic being put together into one body, one building, one temple, one differences put together, all right? And the more difference, the better, okay? Um, you want me to switch, Matthew? Okay, I can imagine Cherry would want me to switch. I'll, I'll, I'll switch. She loves things like that. So valuing all parts of the body, every different kind of part of the body. Now, we say we want to value all those different kinds of the parts of the body, but most of us really want somebody who's like me. We hope you look different, but think just like me. Because then I could show how everybody who's different thinks just like me. But actually, we think different feel different, have different ideas and values. So we also talked about fellowship. That's a big spiritual word, koinonia, partnering, and food. Food is good for fellowship. Eating together is always good, right? And good thing, we're going to have some cake afterwards that Pastor Felicia made. That's that right, Stanley? Pastor Stanley, all right. So afterwards, be sure to stop by the Black History 
uh, table there because there's going to be some food for you to fellowship around. All right? So those are some of the things that kind of had that same category of, I'm going to pull one of them out and call it authentic community. So let's go to Scripture. God's image in us. If we look at Genesis, the very beginning, God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. This is where the treasure comes from. We said the treasure is God, but the treasure is in people because he's made us in his image. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. FYI, females are just as much in the image of God as males. More importantly, males and females together are in the image of God. More, notice it's a corporate image of God. So it's true that each of you as individuals has the image of God in you, which is one of the things we pay attention to a lot. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Actually, all men and women, all, even though it didn't include black people at the time, all people that came out of this text, but not just as individuals, but we're especially in the image of the Trinity together. He created them in his image. We really reflect God's image when we do it together. Are you with me? So this is not so popular these days. Because generally, we're into being individualists. And we're getting more so. And we're getting less trusting of institutions. And we're and this is just happening all over our society, okay? So we used to go to the store and greet the manager and talk about how his wife and kids are, and then we go now go to a big box store where we're lucky if we know anybody, and then we're like, yeah, I don't want to do that. I'll just order it on Amazon, right? And the same thing has happened in church. We used to go to a church where we knew everybody, and we greeted people, and you said, how are your kids? Now we go to mega churches where you're lucky if you sit by the same person. I went to a mega church in Nairobi. I was lucky if I bumped into the same person on the way in and the way out who I'd seen another time. Good thing about that, it's great for evangelism. People can just slip in, slip out, nobody notices them. And then we've moved on now to online church. So you don't have to, we don't have to know if you showed up or not. That's the bummer about a small church. You don't show up, people are like, we missed you. Where were you? The guys just you know, wanted to sleep in. But big box church, no problem. Online church, nobody knows. No, I think those are all good options. But the truth is, our, the church in America has moved 2,000, the average median church, all the churches, 137 or smaller. Okay, 137 was the median. Half the churches were smaller, half the churches were bigger. Now it's 67. So most churches are, or half of the churches are smaller than 67. Most churches are smaller than our church. But most people go to a huge church. And when the PPP loans came out, half of the staff that was, was uh, given um, help with PPP loans was in 10% of the churches. 
and other institutions. 90% was all those others. So we have a, a land of mega churches and mini churches and now online churches. And there's good things about each one. Mega churches and online churches are great for evangelism. People don't have to, you know, be worried about walking in the store and being, what's, who are you and what's with, they can just be anonymous, right? Smaller churches and small groups especially are great for discipleship because people ask you questions and they might even probe a little bit and you might actually be more authentic, have to be more authentic. We want to be an authentic community here. We want to be not just hospitable and friendly, but actually get to know each other. And authentic to the point where we find out what you're really like. Because here's the thing. It goes from this beautiful picture, Genesis 2, walking in the garden, naked, no shame, all that stuff, to what? I want to run the rules. I want to make it in the fall. And you did it. No, she did it. Right? And so that beautiful image gets kind of messed up. Then God comes and says, I'm going to make a new nation out of you, Abraham. And you're going to bless all the nations. Because it goes from messing up in the, in, with individuals to the family to the international at Babel. And then God comes and has a plan for all the nations through this one nation, this one community. And then we, we've been talking about this story of Jacob. Who is the hero in the story of Jacob? Jacob, Esau, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob's kids? No, there is no hero. God is the hero. He shows up and he fulfills his promise even through Jacob. And crazy thing, that whole nation gets named after Jacob, who is renamed Israel. And they say, you know who our father is? Jacob, Israel. I'd be like, uh, no, Abraham. Or somebody's got a Joseph, maybe. But they claim Israel because he's the one who struggles with God, and God gives him his grace. We are children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because God is fulfilling his promise through this motley crew right here. These clay bricks. All right? Exodus 19, he calls them out of Egypt, <coughs> out to Sinai, He's redeemed them, he's rescued them, he's saved them, and he says, here's the deal. I'm willing to make a covenant with you, you descendants. And he says, then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God at Sinai. Yahweh called to him from the mountain and said, give these instructions to the family of, yes, Jacob. Announce it to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. He's redeemed them. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples of the earth, for all the earth belongs to me. All the earth is God's, and yet he chooses a people. And he says, you're my treasure. You will be my kingdom of priests to go between me and those other nations. My holy nation set apart to be my nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel, Jacob, those people. And they say, yes, we'll do that. And they immediately mess it up. Start worshiping some golden calf. And, <clears throat> and this is the story throughout the Bible of 
God chose you, but not you, us, to be his treasure, to put his image in, to inhabit. The Lord is here. The treasure is in us. The kingdom of God is among us. And we're a bunch of clay bricks. So treasuring one another, all the believers, this is Acts 2 now, in de devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, koinonia, partnership, sharing, and to sharing in meals. Yes, there was food, including the Lord's Supper, which we're going to do a little bit later. Um, and to prayer. Can you see our directions here? A deep sense of awe came over all of them. So the apostles teaching down, fellowship in, sharing meals and prayer up. And we'll get to the out at the end here. A deep sense of awe came over all of them. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Isn't it beautiful? Isn't it amazing? That's the treasure. That's what we're hoping for. And I see it happening around here. I see glimpses of it. I see the Levines who loaned their car to some asylum seekers who rolled it. But they were fortunately safe, but uh, they needed to go on a trip in ch to Chicago, so somebody loaned them their car. But, but somebody couldn't go on the trip because she had to watch the kids. But then somebody else, yesterday, uh, Greta, said, oh, I'll watch your kids. You go. That's last Sunday. Other people are giving in the benevolence offering today. And people are going to come and say, you know, I have a need. And we're going to say, we have money to meet that need. This stuff is happening. We have glimpses of this. And in Acts, just a little bit later, people are saying, how come those people are getting more than our widows are getting? Then we have Paul and Barnabas, and they, they're, they're great teammates, and they fight until they can't be together. That stuff happens in Acts 2. We like to stay with this one. But it gets messy when you have real community, authentic community. And let me tell you something. I want us to be an authentic community, which means you can tell somebody your story here without editing. Not everybody, but somebody. In your small group or someplace, you can tell your story without editing out those parts. Because this is a place about grace. And the Bible tells those stories without editing. I mean, I'm, Jacob probably didn't like the way his story actually got told. He would have polished it up a little bit. Take out some of that stuff. But everybody's story gets told very authentically in Scripture. I want to be that kind of place where anybody can come here and they don't have to pretend that they've never sinned. They have to pretend that they don't struggle now with some things. They have no addictions and they have no psychological issues. Maybe if we're sick, 
we could confess that because that doesn't necessarily reflect on us. Of course, there's some churches where you wouldn't want to do that either because they'd, they'd say you better not be disclaim it. We want to be a place where you can be sick, weak, struggling with sin, struggling in a relationship, and still have grace that helps you and empowers you and people who will walk with you. Not just say, no, 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 no. 1 Peter 2 says, you're coming to Christ who's the living cornerstone. The living cornerstone. He's alive of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. Other people said, what? That's, that's not what we're looking for in a Messiah. We like the healing part, but not the dying part. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priest. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I'm placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. We can trust in Jesus and take him our disgrace. Okay? He is, we is being built into that temple, built on him. Living stones. He goes on and says, but you're not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. Does that sound familiar to you? He's using Exodus 19, but he's talking to Gentiles as well as Jews. He's saying, you are a chosen people. Once you had no identity as a people, you Gentiles, now you're God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you receive God's mercy. This is a place for you to receive God's mercy, God's grace, God's forgiveness. Not a place to pretend that you don't need that because you're a Christian. We've got two enemies. One is fear. The other is pride. And we can have pride a lot of different ways. One of them, we're so cool, we're such a great church, we're fabulous, we're, we're, we're really growing, we're really whatever, we're really, we're really authentic, we're really uh, uh, lots of different nations, we're whatever we want to take pride in. But none of that is actually, any of that is God's doing, right? We can't really take pride in it. The other way we can take pride is like Gideon did. Oh, I'm so weak, I'm the, from the youngest, I can't do anything. God said, I am with you. He said, yeah, but I'm nothing. I'm, and God kept saying, it's not about who you are. It's about who I am. I am with you. And people, it's not about you. It's not about me. Have you noticed I have some weaknesses? Lots of them. Fortunately, it's not about me. I'm just one brick. It's about Yahweh who's among us who gives us grace for our weaknesses, your weaknesses, our leader's weaknesses. You've received mercy. Ephesians 2 says it this way, so now you Gentiles, which I think almost everybody here is, you are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens 
along with all of God's holy people, you're members of God's family. Together, we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him. We need to be joined together in him. God's goal is not to have scattered bricks. Having a personal relationship with Jesus. He wants us to be joined together. And he wants us to take off the paint. So that we can be joined and the mortar can stick. Because if you're all covered up with paint and varnish to make yourself look good, you're not going to stick very well. Stand off the veneer. Let us see who you really are so we can really stick. So you don't have to have imposter syndrome. Well, I, I'm at part of this church, but if they really knew who I am, who I, my real story, they might not accept me. Try us out. Try somebody out. You might be surprised. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. God lives here. Lives here by his spirit. Can you believe that? There's a treasure right here. God's spirit. God is here. Among us. 1 Corinthians 3 says, For we are God's workers. So that this is the context of this church in Corinth where they were fighting. There was disunity. Some people were saying, I follow Paul. Other people were saying, I follow Apollos. Other people were saying, well, I follow John Piper. Other people were saying, I follow Greg Boyd. People were all up in, you know, he's the better teacher. He's the whatever. I'm, I'm really a kind of a, a you know, more reformed. I'm, I'm really filled with the Holy Spirit. They were fighting about who was the better tribe to be part of. And Paul said, what is this? Paulus and I, we each got our part. I laid some seed, did some watering. We're God's workers. And you're God's field. You're God's building. Because of God's grace to me. Remember, Paul called himself the chief of sinners. Because of God's grace to me, I've laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it. But whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. careful for no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. There can't be any other foundation about how we're so good at this or great at that or affirming about this or, or, or uh, right on about that. Jesus Christ is the only foundation. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. You are invited to be a builder in this house. You're invited to build others up. You're invited to be a builder. Build well. And let's be honest, we're not going to be able to tell how well we built this year, this decade, this century. When we get to the end, God is going to look at you. 
And he's going to say, here's your reward. And as I look here, I see people who have built for years in this church. People who have built for a year in this church. God is going to reward you for what you have built. So build. And build with quality. Because this is not a temporary building. Now, this is a temporary building. But the church is not temporary. Corporations, constitutions, kingdoms, nations, all the other stuff you're building is temporary. But the church, this people, is not. It's eternal. And everything you do to build this church is going to have an eternal reward. Can you believe that? Now, this isn't a day when people are not so hot on the church or anything else. They're not trusting institutions in general, right? Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. So here's the other piece, folks. I encourage you to build. And watch out about destroying the church, the temple. Jesus doesn't like when you say bad things about his bride. Now you can tell her, hey, uh, you know, uh, uh, you should comb your hair. You can't see it in the back, but I'll, I'll help you comb it. It's okay to tell her, hey, you know, that, that part is, could you just button that up? But when you start slandering his bride, that's not good. So deconstruction of the church is okay if you're deconstructing because um, we talked about how we've got to build following the scripture. We've got, to, we've got to build to make sure that the wall is straight. Now, if the wall starts to get crooked, starts to go off, I've had to take some blocks off of a brick wall that I've made because it started to get crooked. That's deconstructing. But I did it so that I could build it straight. So if you need to do some deconstructing, that's okay. But do it so that you construct the church of Jesus Christ. So you become a builder. And here's the thing. It's a temptation for all of us to become self-righteous. Right? To become Pharisees. To be like, I'm pretty good. Remember I said pride was a problem? I'm pretty good. I'm part of this church. I get, you know, we, we, we got it. We got the truth. We got it. And some of us have noticed that there's a bunch of crackpots in this place. And some of these bricks are not so great. And we want to deconstruct. And we, and we want to say, you know, he's so self-righteous, but he's not so great. And then we keep going with that. And does it happen to be that the person who says, well, the church is a mess. And they, they're, they're, they don't know what they're doing. And they're, they're so racist. And they're so negative, and they're so whatever, whatever, whatever. And the church is all that. I mean, the church is people. 
but be careful you don't become self-righteous yourself. The church is so political, it's so whatever, whatever, uh, because it doesn't agree with your politics? Or because, are you following me? Our number one identity needs to be, I'm a child of God, which comes automatically with, I'm a part of his church. I'm a part of his bride. Um, <clears throat> this book, Reorganized Religion, he talks about somebody who was very, had, you know, had issues with the church, and she, she became spiritual, not religious, and she met a guy who was just a winsome guy. It happened to be, a, I, think, I think he was a pastor, a Christian, and he said, oh, spiritual, not religious. That's like kind of saying, I play football, but not on a team. Any of you play football? I watch the Vikings. I don't really play. I don't get many chances. I mean, we used to play a little bit of snow football or whatever, but you can't play football on a team. You can throw a ball. You can throw a ball to yourself. And maybe it's, you know, mindfulness to throw a ball to yourself or something. But it's not really football, right? You can run with it. You can bump into things with it. But it's not football. Here's the other problem. We've talked about this before. Um, the church is changing. And there's two kinds of football going on. Because the church used to be a place for white people. In the 50s, we built a church for white people. And it was great. And we built all these institutions and all these things that, that, that served white people and baby boomers. And so 56% of White people over 65 are part of a church. 25% of millennials are. 19% of older people are, are part of a, non-whites non are part of a church. 25% of young people are. So there's about even in the young people. And in our city, it's 51% white, non-Hispanic. And we said a long time ago, Pastor Jim said, it's not gonna stay that way when I said our census tract is all white. So we're on the way, folks. It's a bumpy ride between a church that was mostly European descent, white, in the world and in our nation, to a church that already is not mostly white in the world, or even in our nation. And we're going here. And we're going here. Praise God we're going here. But hey, it's a bumpy ride. It's a bumpy ride because sometimes we're going we're gonna to be playing on the team and not quite sure exactly which game we're playing. Right? And sometimes you need to take a break. So, so you know, I grew up playing in the – I didn't play football. I played in the band sometimes, watching football. We didn't even have a soccer team in Cloquet, Minnesota. My kids' school in Nairobi didn't have an American football team. They played soccer. Well, no, they didn't. They played football. They didn't call it soccer. It's football. They kick it. So we're in a process that's going to be bumpy, and some of us are going to react and try to say, no, no, it's not, that's not what it should be. We, should, we need to stay, keep the status quo, and it, it, the status quo isn't going to stay anyway, but we're going we're to have some bumpiness on the way. But that's okay. Because the spirit is still in the house. And this happened way back in Acts. They had a Jewish church that had welcomed these Gentiles who were unclean and didn't do things the right way, and... Somehow they managed. We have a record of how they managed. Be careful about pride and self-righteousness. 
whether you're constructing or deconstructing. Let's build a better church. I'm with you. But anytime we take a block down, please put another block back. 2 Corinthians 4 says this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. We talked about the guy who ran in and bumped into treasure in the field, just sitting in a bunch of dirt. There was this clay pot or something like that that nobody else had been able to see. It was hidden. But there was treasure inside. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power all-surpassing power, wow, fabulous, is from God and not from us. You following me? So you're going to look at me and you're going to say, I don't see no all-surpassing power. I just see a clay pot with some cracks in it. Wasn't made quite right. Yep. But the image of God is in you, is in me, and especially is in us. See, anybody can be loving and spiritual and religious and wonderful by themselves. Just when you get in relationship, that it gets annoying. You know, it was great to be dating that person. It's just when you got married that they got annoying. And it was great to visit this church and find out how friendly we were. But now that you're starting to get to know us, you're like, yeah, but there's some things I don't like so much. Yeah, we don't like them either. So we are. We're just a bunch of crackpots. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Keep those two things together. The Spirit of God is among us. It's fabulous. And we are very fallible. Most of us have too high an opinion of people. That's why we're always disappointed. It's not what the Bible says. Says we're a bunch of sinners. We are weak. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. We're back to our overflow passage about the grace flowing down and coming back in Eucharisteo. Eucharist coming down and thanksgiving going back. Eucharist going back to God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. This is 1 Corinthians 15. No, no, this is continuing the passage. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes... Not on the clay pot, what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Look hard in that person who's annoying you in this church right now. Look for Jesus, because he's there. Don't lose heart. Folks, we're in a time when committing to the church and working for the church and doing things for this church is not popular, not cool. It used to be cool. It's not cool anymore. It's stupid. What are you doing that for? Don't you know all the problems of the church? Yeah, absolutely. Don't lose heart. We're building something that's eternal. But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So my dear brothers and sisters, be 
strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. Honestly, this whole COVID thing has locked a lot of us back into not so enthusiastic or just not working, right? I don't know if I'm going to build because I don't know. I'm busy. I... And if you need a rest, that's fine. Take a rest. But he's encouraging us to always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Hey, you may have started something or some program that then died or people didn't really like it or, or you tried to say something and people probably, and, and you know what? That happens. God watched. God saw. He knows your intention. He knows the impact. And even if there wasn't any impact, he knows what you did. You will be rewarded. Nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Please remember that. So let's celebrate our authentic community with some communion. Lord, we thank you for this community. We pray that you would make us a gracious community. Would you fill us and would you help us to see you in? And would you help us to rejoice in the crackpots that we see? Would you help us to pray for one another? Would you help us to walk together and host your spirits? Not only when we're here, but when we're out there. Help us to be joined together. Solidly founded on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, we are so grateful that we can run to you again and again. No matter what mud we've gotten ourselves in, your arms are open wide. You're able to wash us, cleanse us, after you give us a big hug with our messiness. God, would you help us to live in your grace? And would you help us to walk in your grace and act like you, Father, in our world? Would, be, would we be overflowing with your grace to each other and to our world around us who is hurting like us? So now, church, bless you. Those of you online, those of you here, I bless you as you go with the love and grace of the Father, with the redemption of Jesus Christ and the power and the bonding of the Holy Spirit. Go out into our world, hosting the presence of God in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.